0: Well, as probably um, most of you know, um, Josh and Janelle Gish welcomed Sarah Joy on Friday morning into their family. She was 8 pounds, 1 ounce, and 20 inches long. Um, so we have a new little acorn. Let's, let's um, give God the glory. Um, if you're able to kneel with me for prayer, will you do so? <laughs> Dear Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that you are the King of Kings. You are a good, good Father who loves us with an everlasting love. And I just pray, Lord, that you would be um, not only welcome in this place, but that you would be welcome in our hearts. That for each one of us, Lord, we would allow you to be at work in our hearts not just today as we're listening to this word, but in the days to come. May our hearts ever be and always be open before you, Lord, looking for your work and your transformation power within it. And thank you that that's what you desire to do because you are a good, good father who is very loving. And I thank you for the word that you have for us this morning, Lord. I thank you for this um, series on the family. I pray, Lord, that... That as we hear um, the word this morning, that we would receive it, that we would um, that we would ponder the word, that we would invite you to be at work um, in our families and our marriages to make us the people that you have created us to be. And I pray for Conrad as he. Um, delivers this word this morning, Lord. I pray, Lord, for your boldness to be upon him, Lord, for your courage. Lord, I thank you for, for the way that you speak to Conrad, for the way that you speak through him. I pray that he would be faithful mm-hmm. in delivering the word that you yeah. have for us this morning, that he would do so um, with his eyes fixed and mm-hmm. focused on you, I just pray, too, Lord, for clarity for his voice and strength. And I pray for a shield of protection to be around him, both now as he delivers this word and also in the week to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my salvation. Good morning, and I greet you in Jesus' name. This is the second in the series uh, on the Storm Tossed Family, um, a book that I'm using as a guide. And so what I usually do, if you're interested and in wondering what I do, um, as I prepare, I will read the chapter usually several times, and then I will go um, work on the message. And uh, it, often the ideas are reflected in the message, but I often feel like the Lord sends me in a variety of different directions Um, as I move on. If you ordered a book, they are available now after church. We had them for family night. Several of you picked them up. Um, If you ordered a book, I have them back in the office, see me after church, and I'll be back at the office door. And if you did not order one, I would have two or three extras. Just let me know that you did not order them. They're $8, and so I'd like that either check Town Mennonite Church or cash when you're able to do that. And if you don't have it today, just make sure that we get that. the last thing I hope that you leave this morning feeling is judged because if that's the way you feel then you've missed we've missed the whole point because when it comes to the condition of our families and of our marriages we're all at the same place Russell Moore says we are all dysfunctional every marriage every family and all of us as individuals fail to function according to God's intention. We always will on this side of glory. So we're at the same place. I was reminded of this when I went for my CAT scan um, to Baltimore, and um, after I was prepped and there were two other guys prepped, something happened that I've never experienced in a waiting room before. It was not the outside waiting room, it was the inner waiting room, and we were getting ready to all go back for CAT scans for something. And we started talking. We started talking about our lives. We started talking about things we enjoyed doing. Uh, One was a Jewish physician, uh, probably in his 70s, mid-late 70s, uh, who's two two and a half years out from pancreatic cancer. Another was an African-American who talked about the fact that for 50 years, 70 members of their family still have reunions at different places around the country every every summer, and they do the same thing at at Christmas and Thanksgiving. It was amazing, Uh, and I shared a bit. And I was reminded that here we were, we didn't know each other, we were from different backgrounds, different statuses, and yet we were all going back for test results that we didn't know what the outcome was going to be. We were all broken. And when you're all broken and you recognize that you're all broken, it takes down the barriers that get in the way when we're trying to be somebody. And so this morning, I'm hoping that God removes from us the sense that our families need to be something, something. That our marriages need to be something or that we need to be something. It's not that God doesn't have us on a journey to make something out of us, which, of course, He is. He's making who, we've, who He created us to be out of us, but that we are not—that we're allowed—we allow ourselves to let go of the ways that we've tried to construct perfection around ourselves and our families. I was also reminded, and I want to welcome my brother Phil, who is here. Um, it's always a delight to have Philip here. He came up uh, Friday, and when he's here, he always—there's always wisdom that he conveys to me. Um, one of the things he talked about yesterday, we went to the farm show with dad and Jacob. And as we were walking out, um, we were talking about evaluating, and I'm not going to get it quite right, Philip, but uh, assessing what is good or bad about a company uh, or an organization. And we just did this the last two days at Elizabethtown College, where you, you rate something according to red, meaning it's not doing well, or yellow, kind of a caution, or green, it's doing great. And all of us want to be green. All of us this week at the college wanted the president to see our programs as being green. None of us wanted to be red, because the last thing we want to do is lose our jobs. But one of the things Phil said to me is that um, he's learned is that we need to learn to question the green and embrace the red. To question the green and embrace the red. And I love that, because as followers of Jesus, we should not be afraid of the red, right? Because he takes care of the red. He redeems the red. But so often, we spend a lot of time trying to construct it to make it look green, when really underneath, it's not so green after all. And so I want us all to this morning be willing to acknowledge that there is, there is redness in our marriage. There's redness in our families. That's just the way we are on this side of eternity. And we're not here to judge one another for that, but we're here at the cross to say, Jesus, can you redeem and restore whatever it is in my marriage, my family, my life, that you know needs redeemed and restored? So can we, start, can we agree to start there this morning? can we agree to end there this morning? All right, thank you. I want to read three passages, and I'm not going to ask you to turn in your Bible unless you want to. The first one's Ephesians 5, a short passage, Revelation 19, and 1 Peter 5. And I've I've selected these three passages, and then uh, I'm going to move on from them with them as kind of the background for this morning. Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church. This is us. This is what he did for us. To present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery but I am talking about Christ and the church. Revelation 19. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Alleluia, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. 1 Peter 5, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety upon him, because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers and sisters throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after, he has, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. In 1983, some of you may remember, and I do, pop singer Pat Benatar released the hit song, Love is a Battlefield. No one sang it, but you may remember, some of you. We are young, heartache to heartache, no promises, no demands. Love is a battlefield. And frankly, the longer the song goes, the more the lyrics sound kind of like a battlefield. When Heidi and I are doing premarital counseling, we sometimes wonder if we press the couple too hard. Do we move in too quickly with too much? Are we trying to create conflict right there in our living room? No, we're not necessarily trying to create conflict there in our living room, but we also know that conflict will come. Conflict will come. And for the couple who believes it will not because their love is too strong, or because they never saw their parents fighting, or because it's not Christian to be in conflict, these are the couples who are least prepared when the battle comes. Because the battle will come. Growing up, and my brother Phil can attest to this, family devotions was often the time when it seemed like, frankly, all hell was breaking out in our family. One of us might end up being sent to our room or being disciplined in some other way. And it took twice as long to get through devotions as it probably should have because of everything that happened. In light of today's message, though, why should that have surprised us? A message entitled, Home as Spiritual Warfare. Family devotions takes place in the midst of a battlefield that many of us are not prepared for. Family devotions takes place in the midst of a battlefield that many of us don't even understand we are in. Because if the devil can undo what happens in those moments as a family, he can make inroads to lots of other places in our homes. When I hear couples say, or when I hear couples themselves say this about their own marriage, we never saw our parents fight, or we never fought, I want to respond, then your parents did you no favors. Because any couple who has no conflict is also a couple who has no intimacy. Any couple who has no conflict is also a couple who has no intimacy. Because intimacy, conflict is one of the places where the greatest forms of intimacy happen. And have the potential to happen. Any couple who hides all of their conflicts from their children is only setting their children up to assume that conflict is abnormal and a sign of something bad. As Russell Moore states, every family is dysfunctional. And I would add that every marriage is dysfunctional. Because at some level, since our fall in the Garden of Eden, we are all dysfunctional. And by that, I mean, again, not living up, able to live up to what God intended for us when he created for us. And those that most deny this about our lives, about our marriages, and about our families are frankly, I think, the ones who are most dysfunctional of all. Because what a place to be, unable to see your failure and dysfunction, unable to grow because you're not able to assess or or understand that you failed or that you are dysfunctional. Anyone who says something to the fact that my family was perfect or my marriage is perfect, I know is already living simply in either denial or they're covering up the truth because it just isn't true on this side of eternity. And though Heidi and I press couples to be honest and real about their struggles and the struggles they are likely to have, I don't ever recall preaching a sermon at a wedding that sounded something like this, today you couple enter the battlefield, or your marriage will be hell, or prepare for war, or when you are ready to divorce, right? I've never preached a message like that. Watch out, Sam and Amber, um, or Josiah and Katie, because I've learned some things since I... (laughs) Of course I don't. Why haven't I? Because deep within us, God has placed a desire and a hope that no matter how bad, and I think this is true for non-Christians as well, that no no matter how bad our parents' marriage was or how bad the marriages of those around us are, our marriage will be different, We will get it right. Ours will be a piece of heaven. We will live happily ever after. And I believe God has planted this within us as an awareness that weddings and marriages are to be more like heaven than hell. Otherwise, the average price of a wedding in central Pennsylvania would probably not approach $25,000. $180 per guest is the average price in this area. We value weddings... We value the wedding celebration. I'm not saying you have to spend that much money to show that you value weddings, but I'm making a point. Obviously, we value weddings. Heidi and I love to participate in the weddings of those we've walked with up to that important day. As the party leaves, I often say, as the, as the, as the bride and groom leave and their party with them, I often say, let the party begin. And a party it always is, the best food, Lots of laughter, sometimes dancing, celebration toasts, expensive gifts, and more and more. Because weddings and marriage are to reflect God and God's intentions for us. Marriage of a man and woman reflects the completeness of who God is. The love of a husband and wife reflects the love of Christ for the church. The wedding is a foretaste of the final wedding, who I just read about in Revelation 19. That final wedding feast where the followers of the Messiah will end up. At the end of this, remember we talked in the Paul series about the eschatological story. This is where we're going, to a wedding feast. So why should we not celebrate the weddings here? Weddings and marriage are both good in the sense that God said in the Garden of Eden when he created us and all of creation, it is good. Because weddings and marriage reflect heaven. But indeed, it is this very divine goodness of marriages and weddings and family life that means no matter how much we spend or how perfect the day or how good the food or how lovely the bride, the truth is that when the couple walks down that aisle, they have no idea that they are entering a battlefield. A party, yes, for a while, but a battlefield nonetheless. Because from the time that couple makes their vows to stay together for life until the time of their death, they will face the dark powers that we have been preaching about for the last several weeks. Christ, yes, he was crucified and resurrected. He defeated the dark powers once and for all, their ability to condemn us to death. And yet those powers, as we've said, still have the power to do what to us? I've repeated this a number of times over the last weeks. What do those dark powers still do? What power is left for them to what? To lie, I'm sorry, to create fear, to intimidate, to deceive, to manipulate, to threaten, and on and on and on. Those are the things that we will face. What we are doing when we step into marriage is, in effect, to activate those forces. When we step into marriage, we are activating the dark forces. Against us. Why? Because we have entered a covenant relationship that mirrors the heavenly relationship. We have entered a covenant relationship that mirrors the relationship between Christ and us, and the intimacy between Christ and the church, and the eternal love between Christ and the church. So why would the dark forces not come against us immediately? Of course they will, because they come against God. And we have stepped, for those of us who marry, we step into a new space that was new that we didn't face before, and it's a space that in a new way reflects who God is. Because Satan is aligned against Christ and the church, he is most certainly going to be aligned against anything that looks like Christ in the church. He's going to be aligned against any image or symbol or analogy or metaphor that looks like Christ and the church. Russell Moore says that Satan is looking for trophies. The dark forces are looking for trophies and destroyed marriages and families are just the kind of trophies they want hanging around. It's a pretty grim picture, isn't it? So indeed, what we do when we marry is enter a battlefield. But I've got to say until this message and preparing for it, I never thought much about that idea. If we are only preparing couples to organize their finances well, to learn how to communicate, to figure who's going to do what around the house, then we're not doing nearly enough. And I'm not saying that's all we do in preparing couples. We do address spiritual issues, but... What we really need to be doing as families from the time our children are born is to understand That there is a battle coming for them that we need preparing them for. If we wait till premarital counseling, that's waiting far too late. It needs to begin at home, in the way that children see parents doing battle at home, not against one another, but united against those forces that are coming against the family. It's so easy as life catches up with us and our marriages, and and as our marriages and families start to flounder. And the cracks begin to appear to blame all kinds of things. We blame our spouse, we blame our busy schedules, we blame the sexual saturation temptations of this world around us, we blame our work and its expectations, we blame the economy, our loss of a job, our parents and how they raised us, the behavior of our children, and even the church. But the reality is that we are in the midst of a battle that we have never prepared for adequately or understood that we will one day face. And if anything, being unprepared and unaware is a really bad place to be. Being unprepared and unaware is a really bad place to be. On Thursday of this week, we had the memorial service for Naomi Frank. Naomi was the wife of 66 years of Richard, the lead pastor of this congregation from 1970 to 1995. As Naomi lay dying, Richard would often repeat to us when we visited, we had 66 years of marriage and we knew each other for 68 years. These words were Richard's way of remembering the sacredness of their marriage, remembering the covenant. These words were Richard's trophy. And as I shared on Thursday, there was never any light between Richard and Naomi in ministry that I'm aware of. As they aged, we enjoyed visiting them as they built upon one another's conversations, which they had been having for decades, and as they built upon one another's humor. They clearly, after 68 years, still enjoyed the company of the other. That's amazing. That's wonderful, isn't it? That at 66 years of marriage, you are still enjoying the company of one another, building upon one another's conversations. I told Richard, that day, Thursday, in front of the audience, that as much as I love and appreciate him, I will never see him without Naomi. Because that's the way they walked together. And that's not something we can always say about couples. They seemed as they got older to enjoy a kind of lightness and grace that got closer and closer to heaven the more they got there themselves. And yet anyone who knows Richard Naomi also knows that they knew what it was like to be in battle. Looking at their family sitting at the front on Thursday, they, like every family, have had their share of pain, of wounds, of disappointments, of heartaches. But I doubt if Richard Naomi, like any of us, thought much about that on the day they were married 66 years ago. Because we enter our marriages with heaven in mind. Which is a good thing. Unaware that in the process of getting there, though, we will encounter the forces of hell before we leave the reception later that day. For struggle and pain and disappointment and hurt and conflicts are normative in marriages and families on this side of eternity. Hurt and pain and disappointment and conflict are normative, they happen on this side of eternity. Within a fallen world, all we need to do is look at the early chapters of Genesis. How do we go from such high and lofty ideals on that wedding day to that pain and despair and disillusionment? How do we go from spending so much money at the wedding to being so spiritually bankrupt years later? How do we get from heaven to hell in our marriage and our family? This week I heard a quote from author Ernest Hemingway who answered that question by saying, gradually and then suddenly. Gradually and suddenly. Mark Twain and others have said a similar quote. At first you go bankrupt slowly and then all at once. At first you go bankrupt slowly and then all at once. In the Song of Solomon, a book if you're aware of it, familiar with it, reflects the relationship between Christ and his church. The lover says of his beloved at one point, My dove in the clefts of the rocks, in the hiding places on the mountainside, show me your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. In the midst of this passionate, almost erotic song, or not almost, erotic, that is known for its intimacy, the lover suddenly turns away from his beloved as he seems to be aware that there might be something that threatens the eternal love that he feels and has with his beloved. And so he says, catch for us the foxes. To somebody, catch for us the foxes. The little foxes that ruin the vineyards are vineyards that are in bloom. For foxes, as cute and innocent as they may appear at times, were also, are also known to destroy the fresh vines in a vineyard. In the Song of Solomon, the vineyard was the place of love. These two were in the vineyard. It was the place of love, the place of intimacy, the place of the marriage covenant. But the lover in the midst of that suddenly becomes vigilant suddenly for just a moment, thinks about the fact that there may be little foxes already at work in the relationship, already at work to destroy the intimacy down the road, already at work to destroy this lovely vineyard and strip away all that is so important to these two lovers. Perhaps the most common way that our marriage and our family goes from heaven to hell is just what Hemingway said, gradually and suddenly. Suddenly. As the little foxes enter our lives, our marriages, and our families, so innocent, even cute-like at times, but then go on to threaten, to destroy, that which was most precious to us. What are these little foxes? The habits that were part of our early years of marriage now get left behind. The words of affection that we gave our spouse or our children get left behind. The physical touches that said, I love you, get left behind. The surprise gifts that said, I love you, no longer show up. The notes that I gave to the other are disappearing. The vacations and getaways we, we, we did to connect with one another disappear. My time with God just slips away. Things that we have lost are the little foxes. Things that held us together and are gone are the little foxes. But there are also things that are little foxes that we add that were not part of our life before. Maybe we begin to develop resentment because there are things happening we just never talk about. Our communication declines. Maybe it's the accumulation of painful memories of what someone said to us. Maybe it's working too much. Maybe it's drinking too much. Maybe it's spending time with anyone but our spouse and family. Maybe it's finding excuses to work longer. Missing church and those who strengthen our faith. Spending too freely, watching too much television, you go on and on and on. You hear what the little foxes are. The little foxes are anything that threatens the intimacy of our marriages and of our families. They are little, they are innocent, and they may not necessarily be sin. But over time, these little foxes destroy the vineyard. And as we look back, we only see in retrospect what they did. Yesterday, Phil told me another thing that was um, helpful and applicable to the story. He mentioned that landowners in Scotland once a year go out and, and walk the perimeter. Scotland, right, Phil? Walk the perimeter of their property, or did historically. They had stone walls. And that one day of the year, they would walk around their walls to make sure their walls were intact. Walk around their walls to make sure their walls were keeping out the little foxes. It was a property check. What would it look like if, once a year at least, we had a property check in our marriage and our family? What if we even had a little checklist of things that were the stone walls in our lives that were keeping us together and holding us together? What if we had a conversation with our spouse over coffee or a meal, a special meal, that simply said, How are we doing? Or even finding a way to include our children in a a conversation about our family life. How are we doing, kids? Are there places in your life where you're... Things we need to talk about as a family? Things you need to say to us as parents? Things we need to say to you as children? Not in a condemning or judging way, but in a way like, I hope you're hearing me this morning. That we're all starting at the same place. We all have things in our lives that are broken. I think we often shy away from these conversations, including myself. We shy away from these boundary checks because we are afraid of what we will see. We're afraid of what we will learn. We already feel so guilty about the places the walls are broken. We already feel so guilty about those areas that we've allowed the foxes to destroy. We already feel like everything is lost and a failure, and so we're just not going to walk the property this year. But what would happen if you go home today and decide that you're going to walk the property, that you're going to look around, but you're not going to do it on your own. You're going to do it by inviting the Holy Spirit to be with you. And the Holy Spirit is the builder of the walls. More than anything else, He wants your walls rebuilt. He wants you to be protected. He wants you to be secure. He wants you to be cared for. And he does it graciously. He does it gently. He's a gentle shepherd. He is not going to judge you and condemn you. He's going to reveal the truth to you. And then he's going to come alongside of you. Remember, folks, this is where the cross comes back into the story. The cross reveals our brokenness, but the cross restores us to health. The cross restores us to wholeness. The Christ who ultimately destroyed the powers and The only thing they have left is to taunt and threaten and intimidate. But it was also on the cross and through his resurrection that he released the Holy Spirit's power. Scripture says to give us the same power that Christ had to raise from the dead. That that same Holy Spirit is available and is within us. You may feel some days like I do and did this week in particular that there is a target on your back. That the enemy is out to target you for whatever reason. Your marriage and your family. And I want to say to you, you're right, there is. That if you are trying to be faithful to Christ as a single person in your marriage and your family, there is a target on you. Let's just acknowledge that. But let's also acknowledge that the shield around us is greater than the darts thrown at us. Amen? Always. The shield is greater, it is bigger. And the weapons he has given us are more powerful than those that are thrown against us. Your story is not over. Your personal story is not over. If you're here this morning, your story is not over. Your marriage is not over. Your family is not over. The story of your children is not over. You may not have understood the battle. I didn't understand the battle. There's much about the battle I still don't understand. And just as the fox is destroyed gradually and suddenly, though, the reality is that when we we recommit to walking the perimeter of our lives, the perimeter, and doing what God calls us to do in our marriages and our families, it can also come back gradually, but all of a sudden. Just as it was destroyed gradually and all of a sudden, the grace of God means that gradually, but then all of a sudden, his restoration occurs. Sometimes it's immediate. But most often for us, it's a matter of gradual but suddenly, because it means putting into practice those things in our lives that are going to lead to that. And that usually means making changes, even one change that's going to lead to that. But I want to say, as one who knows from some experience, as many of you have, and could say this with me, you will never regret waiting patiently during that gradually. You will never regret working at that relationship relationship with your spouse, with your children, with your extended family, with your friends. You will never regret waiting patiently and doing the hard work to suddenly receive all that God has for you. Which might be the day you walk into glory. But it's going to be worth it then as well. I'm not suggesting at all this morning as I close that we blame everything on the devil. That's not where I'm going. But rather we recognize that there is a battle. And we are targeted. And that we in our marriages and families are up against forces that we just have not understood. That when we come to the foot of the cross, He reveals our brokenness, but He also restores us. We chase the foxes out by staying at the foot of the cross. We chase the foxes out by recognizing our brokenness. We rebuild the fences by crying out to God for mercy and for his help. That is where we begin to see that doing this marriage and family thing was always going to be an uphill battle, that it was always going to result in some pain, but the cross is also the place we go to realize that it is the death and resurrection of Jesus that can overturn the devastation we've experienced in our families, our marriages, and our individual lives. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we stand today, we sit today, all of us, in the very same condition, the very same place. And we say to you that we acknowledge that there's brokenness in our lives, in our marriages, in our families. But we thank you that when we come to the cross... The guilt goes, the shame goes, and the judgment goes. And what we hear from you is simply, Father, forgive them, for they've not known what they do. That in that moment when you took on the powers, you also forgave our sins, and then you rose from the dead. And so I just pray this morning that for each one of us who's heard this message, including myself, that your Holy Spirit would be at work to do immeasurably more than we can even think or imagine in those places in our lives in our marriages and families, where we just know the, the fences are, 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 are broken. The fences are, are busted up, and we need help in repairing them. And as a congregation, I pray the same thing, that where the property lines have been destroyed or broken, and you're asking us to attend to that, that you, by your Spirit, would lead us to do that in a way that invites so many others to join us, on this journey to heaven that you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.